Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time zone or time period or place in time, you know, like in the whole like space time, wherever you may be listening to this podcast, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, the number one podcast about video game developers and the lifestyle thereof. And if you know your math, I said a fraction, one half, that means that I'm not here by myself. Helping me with my math homework this week, Mr. Brandon Fam. Hey, what's up, everybody? Bringing along a panel of friends this time around. Uh, let me do my best here. So uh, returning guest, Emma, or Ema, <laughs> and Emma uh, from Game Workers Unite. We have Damn. also Emily Grace Buck and Travis Goodwin. Well, How are you guys awesome. doing? Good. Good. Thanks for having Good me on well. again. <laughs> All right. We're going to try our best to moderate this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as you can hear, listeners, there's about five people talking. And so uh, if you haven't read the title of this episode, this is Glassdoor Confession Telltale Games 2. So now we are talking to people who were there, trying to give a better perspective of what happened. And, you know, with Emma or Ema, <laughs> I'm kidding again. Uh, she's going to help us kind of walk us through what we can do now and solve this issue. So welcome, everybody. Uh, let's just start with a little introduction of, uh, you know, your your experience in terms of resume, how long you guys been there, and then we'll continue from there. So we should call out first. Yeah, I'm calling out Emma. Let's start with Emma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I haven't worked at Telltale Games, but uh, I have worked in the games industry for a few years now. Um, and uh, more recently, I've started doing a lot of labor organizing work with Game and Workers Unite um, and kind of helping form local chapters around the world um, in various game dev centric communities and uh, building up uh, grassroots movements to uh, essentially unionize games from kind of the the local level. Well, thank you, Emma. Uh, Emily Grace Buck, let's go with you next. Sure. So I started working at Telltale in mid-2015. Uh, it wasn't my first game dev job. I had been at a studio that makes serious games called Cognito before I came to Telltale. Um, and then I was still at Telltale when everything imploded on September 21st of this year. Um, in the interim, I worked on 17 episodes at Telltale and I was the design lead for four of them. So, nice. That's awesome. Bunch of stuff. <laughs> and Travis? Yeah. Um, my name's Travis. I worked at Telltale Games starting in late 2014 through spring of 2015. Started out as a QA tester and then became a QA lead and I was there for about five episodes of my short tenure there. And I was a lead for two or three. Uh, it's all kind of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, with Telltale, uh, I think we should start at a reasonable spot. There's a lot of press about it. Um, a lot of tweets and things. I think we should clear the air on exactly at least 
let's just treat the listeners. This is a kind of sort of the first time listening on what's going on. Give a brief example. And then we can talk about the differences. A lot of those things that are in the press that are exactly not true or, or whatever. So uh, let's start with the story. If, uh, if anything. Um, so a bunch of layout layoff happened uh, pretty much a couple of months ago. And we're in kind of this weird news cycle where like uh, a lot of CEOs are kind of drawing straws on how best to kind of upset the game developers in the last few months. But Telltale is definitely the, the I feel like one of the, the biggest news that we've all um, heard about uh, because it affects not just directly to you guys that have worked there before, but indirectly to a lot of game developers, especially in the Bay Area. Bay Area is just having a tough time right now. Um, so is there anything in the press, and we can start with you, Emily, that you've heard that are simply, uh, well, in your opinion, are, 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 are accurate or not accurate? Yeah, so I think a lot of the reporting has actually been pretty accurate about what went down, at least the day of the layoffs. There, of course, has been a lot of speculation about what led to what happened, and I think that's going to continue to be the case for a long time. Because even as someone who was there and watched everything collapse, um, there are things that I know and there are a lot of questions that I have that I would love to see answered. And like any large company collapse, it wasn't just one thing. It was a lot of things over a very long period of time. Mm. Um, So I can speak about what I know. So many things happened over a number of years to contribute to the very sudden and traumatic closure of Telltale. And I know that I don't have all of the answers. I don't know if there's any single person who worked there that has all of the answers. So I think a lot is going to keep coming out about what went wrong. And so some of those things that look like speculations now might turn out to be accurate. Some of them might turn out to be completely inaccurate. Um, What I can say that definitely was correct was on September 21st, which was a Friday, they called us all into an all company meeting. We got the invite about an hour and a half ahead of time. We came downstairs to our meeting space. Our CEO, Pete Hawley was standing there cracking jokes, Mm. trying to be funny. He often did like a showman kind of thing at the beginning of company meetings. And then he got real serious Uh sat down and said, this is the end of our journey um, and announced that there was going to be a majority studio closure Mm. that uh, only 25 people were being kept on. Um, We weren't getting any severance. Our healthcare was going to end at the end of the month. (laughs) Um, And we were asked to wait in line to get folders that contained our exit papers and our last paycheck, which was handwritten for all of us. Um, We were told we would have 30 minutes to leave the building. Uh, I know some people ended up staying around a little longer than that. Um, And that was pretty much it. They let us back in the following Monday for a few hours to get our things. And then um, after some conversations, hosted a job fair for us later in the week. And that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you recall, what about the 25 people who weren't, you know, part of the layoff were they anywhere around while this was happening or were they yeah so they were all in that company meeting too um most of them had been tipped off just a couple minutes before that they were not part of the 90 percent um and it was mostly the minecraft netflix team who was Mm -hmm. kept and then a couple 
people from other departments just to keep things running. Um, as of the time we are recording this, the Minecraft Netflix team has also been let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so have a number of other people like that first week um, they kept on some people from HR and marketing and that type of thing. Most of them are gone now. Uh, as far as I know, there are only about five people still working at Telltale. Mm-hmm. But there are still around five people working at Telltale. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, this kind of traces back, and I, I kind of want to ask Tra- Travis this because mm-hmm. it, it felt like there were definitely different cascading effects. Obviously, Emily, you kind of talked about it. There definitely domino effects to finally the closure of a studio there are things and signs that has happened and uh travis you were there like maybe a part of the first because a year before that there was a layoff right that that was pretty major um yeah the, there was a layoff i was not the, not around for that layoff i left uh well before any layoffs had occurred right right were there signs that you felt that were kind of yeah towards that absolutely so uh shortly after i started i started uh, as i mentioned late 2014 in uh, around january of uh 2015 um was when i think what i would consider kind of the first signs of what was i guess to be the uh the ultimate end of telltale would kind of came to fruition and that was with a, a company restructure uh, so up until that point, uh, the company was run by Dan Connors and Kevin Bruner, who were the co-founders of Telltale Games. But in the company meeting, they announced that Dan Connors was stepping down. He was no longer going to be, uh, I can't remember who was the president or the CEO. But at that point, uh, Kevin Bruner was going to take over both roles and there was going to be a major restructuring in how the company was organized and how it was run. Uh, at that point, uh, Telltale had was a, still a little bit rough in its I guess, um, whole structure and its whole pipeline, it's, um, it's release scheduling. Uh, it had, uh, you know, swelled with the walking dead season one after a kind of a Rocky, uh, Rocky release of the Jurassic park game, which I was not around for, but I'd heard from some of the more senior people that worked there. Um, that was not the, the best thing for the company. The company was at that point on the, on the verge of, cl- of uh, closing then. And then the walking dead came out and it was um, a major hit. Season two came out and uh, the Wolf Among Us came out and all of those were really pretty big. And I think at that point, the company just didn't know how to expand and quite meet the uh, the demands that it was that it was looking to fill. Uh, so this restructure happened. Uh, they laid out a roadmap of what was to be for the next couple of years Um some uh, some of what uh, was included there are games that have since come out. Uh, they they told us about the Batman game and some other things that at that point were not not announced, and uh, that they were also going to be uh, like I said restructuring the entire company. Uh, mm-hmm. the departments were going to change. A lot of the leadership was going to change, and I honestly don't know that that was the best restructuring the way the, that they restructured was the best uh, that it could happen. Um, already at that point, even before the restructuring, there was a lot of crunch going on. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of tension and a lot of kind of like, I guess you could say fear and a lot of rewrites and a lot of concern over how these games were getting made. And even in the short time, like after after I uh, after the restructure, they those didn't go away. And I would learn 
that the none of it really improved even longer term afterwards from talking with some of my friends that had still worked at Telltale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Emily can confirm that. Um, so I don't, I think that it was really more of kind of a, a, a power grab uh, thing that occurred with that restructuring as opposed to another, as opposed to like actually trying to improve the dynamics of the company. So that was at the point where I kind of figured that at the rate that we were going, the, the burn that we were going through people and the, the scheduling that they were trying to push on us with all these last minute rewrites, it was not going to be a tenable, uh, a sustainable, uh, yeah. Process. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think from an outsider, uh, I remember seeing, you know, Wolf Among Us, I remember seeing walking dead season one, season two. And I, I like, obviously there's a lot of fanfare around those titles. They're doing pretty well. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I think outsiders would see is like, a lot of the stuff seemed like derivatives or like the engine was like kind of like rinse and repeat type game design processes for the remaining products that kept coming out, kept coming out. Uh, do either of you two have any comments on like, I guess the variety of the, of the, the way the games were made there? Or do or? I? Oh, I do too. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, I was in the design department. I was a narrative designer uh, during my entire time at Telltale and it wasn't even a question of whether or not we were going to follow that formula. (laughs) We got a new IP. We were because that was what a telltale game was. And that's what made it interesting. So we, to be honest, we knew that was not a fight we were ever going to (laughs) win. So (laughs) after a certain point, we stopped fighting it um, and started trying to find ways to innovate and create new, interesting gameplay within that structure. And sometimes we've succeeded. Like we had some cool, investigation puzzles in batman and by walking dead the final season we finally had um uh free walking around and over the shoulder cameras <laughs> and free combat um but those were a big deal to mm-hmm. try and put in those games um talking about changing the formula just wasn't really done on a large scale it was assumed that that's why people played our games that's what made them work that's what people wanted to see and uh none of us to be honest loved that (laughs) um Mm -hmm. i think most of the teams wanted to break out of that formula and wanted to try new things there were occasionally r&d teams that would spring up and start making something really different Mm-hmm. But those would always get canned. <laughs> um, there just wasn't a whole lot of thought that something super different was going to happen until the last year that the company was there when uh, Pete Hawley came in as CEO. Um, obviously, the Stranger Things game didn't release, but that looked really, really different than a standard Telltale game and Wolf Among Us Season 2 even more so. So that was mm-hmm. finally beginning to happen, but it was too late. Oh, that's mm-hmm. Okay yeah and so like i kind of want to circle back to get the fuller story everything but i want to include emma here uh so emma so this i feel like even after telltale and even with the rockstar stuff like on a personal level i talked to friends about this and unionization and there still seems to be like a scattered thought about it and mostly because i think either misinformation or not having the full information is there a picture here to kind of paint it simply, if if we were unionized when this was going down, like how how different would it have been, like in, in the very lowest sense or or whatever. 
Yeah, that's a really great question, honestly. Um, and I've seen a lot of people be like, well, unionization would never have fixed this problem. And um, frankly, that might have been the case. Like, just because you're unionized doesn't mean the studio might not fail. You might not run out of money. You might not still be run into the ground by management. Um, but unionization can definitely provide like tangible benefits um, besides just like empowering the workers. I mean, for instance, like the number one thing that I think most people have been talking about is everyone who was laid off could have been laid off with severance, right? They could have been laid off with healthcare that floated from job to job with them through the union. They could have been laid off with um, all kinds of benefits and perks that they otherwise don't have access to because there's not a coordinated effort amongst the workers to demand those benefits um, from their management. And so, I mean, Emily, I, I can't even believe like what it would be like to, you know, not just lose your health care within like a matter of like a week or two, if I'm correct. And then like not having any severance to buffer from, um, I mean, folks are moving across the country for new jobs. Some people are leaving the country for jobs. I mean, yeah. and, and all without any benefit. Country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Right? yeah. Some people lose visas. It's it's a massive yeah. nightmare. Um, and uh, a lot of it, if even if it couldn't have been prevented, which maybe it could have, maybe it couldn't have, even if it couldn't have been prevented, um, these layoffs, at least the fall could have been cushioned and people could have had a lot better quality of life coming out of that employment experience. Um, and actually, if if y'all are all right, I have a question for Emily, if I could ask that. Okay. Um, just that like, so you're kind of talking about there's like this period, at least before the new CEO came in towards the last year of the of the studio, where you're having a lot of stagnation in the design and the product. And like you're talking about having that formula reused over and over. Do you feel like that was management stagnating and forcing stagnation on the creativity of the studio or or in? And kind of a second question is, do you feel like if the workers had been more collectively mobilized, if they had more of a say in what their studio gets to do, do you think there would have been less of that stagnation? Do you feel like the workers could have had more of a say in the creativity of the product and continuing to innovate? Yes, absolutely. To both of those questions. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, absolutely definitive. Yes. Yeah. That is cool. not what most of us wanted to be doing mm -hmm. and we were doing it because we were scared right yeah if if i can so, actually add that um everyone at the company uh, always read the articles that were posted on the, the the game journalism sites the ones that would critique the stagnation about it and everyone at the company i can even uh i can speak directly for for even as low as qa we in qa were all aspiring designers inspiring people who wanted to make the product as good as possible and we would see these and we even created our own like uh, not really design meetings, but to just try and brainstorm and try and throw out ideas that maybe didn't get uh, get thought of, but we're ultimately going to be get uh, squished at the the sea level. Mm -hmm. That's a real shame. God, that's really depressing. Mm -hmm. I, I think what you both just said really, at least to me, highlights um, kind of this kind of demything we have to do around unionization and collective bargaining and things because people say like, oh, well, if a union comes in, um, like the creativity of a workplace will stagnate and you won't be able to have as much say in what you do. And really like that's what's happening now. Management is kind of grounding our games and our creativity into the dirt. And if we had more of a say in our workplaces, we could have more say in how we want to make our games. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a real bummer to hear that from both of you. Yeah. So I have a question for you. I mean, so this is something that has been like, um, 
unclear in, in terms of unionization. So does the funding to help cushion, well, of course, we're never going to teach bad businessmen how to be better businessmen, but like the cushion to kind of help the developers in between jobs or when it does go bad, like does that funding come straight from the employers ahead of time or they, it's just more accountability where they have to plan for that. And how how does exactly work? What's the mechanic of it? Sure. So probably the most common thing you're thinking of is just like having like a secure um, locked away severance fund for employees. Essentially it's just something a union can like uh, demand from their employer, which is like, if you're going to hire someone, you need to make sure that you are saving up a, like a special secure set of funds to make sure that if they were laid off for whatever reason, you can provide severance for them. And, um, and, and that's a pretty common thing that that you see in industries that are unionized and have like a a more vibrant labor organizing, um, situation. Um, and yeah, so like, even if Telltale was going to hit the red line and it was going to start to go bankrupt or whatever caused it to fail, um, they would have hit that, um, they would have hit that cushion where it's like, okay, the what's remaining is the severance, uh, the severance funds, and so that's when we're gonna declare bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. So all these severance funds goes to the laid off developers, um, and yeah, that's just something you would um, include in any kind of like uh, bargaining contract um, when you're doing your collective bargaining with the employer. A hire and fire plan. <laughs> so you get to see yeah. this is your salary you're going to make. And this is your salary when we don't want you anymore, which is actually really comforting now to think of it. That's how it, it actually is. It, it's like, hey, I'm I'm going to trust you and I'm going to work for you and you'll be my employer. But um, going in, you can know that like for whatever reason, worst case scenario, you'll have a little bit of a transition fund to get to your next gig or find your next place, you know, mm-hmm. Um that's the most common kind of way of structuring severance at least. Mm-hmm. So I have a question with, uh, for you, Emily, like so long after, well, the first layoff happened, I, I think like uh, either Polygon or Kotaku wrote like a, like an article about it or something that was, was trending at that time for the first layoff. Mm-hmm. So with the new CEO coming in and kind of changing things, uh, that change still didn't really help the studio or was it just more like being more focused? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of things happened. First of all, the first layoff that you're referencing happened in fall of 2017 Mm -hmm. and it was a 25% of the company layoff. Um, They handled it. You like 300 employees at that time? We were close to 400. So it was almost a hundred people. Yeah. It was uh, pretty traumatic because Telltale had never done anything like that before. However, also, they handled it about as well as you could handle a really large-scale layoff. Um, They staved off rumors ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, They laid people off pretty kindly. Everyone had severance full to the end of the year, which was more than two months at that point. Um, Their health care lasted then. Two, they had already lined up a job fair before they even laid anybody off to try and help people find placement. And now, of course, not everyone found placement immediately. And it was still it was still bad. Like, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that, like, it was a 25 percent layoff. That's bad. Um, But they handled it well. And a lot of us who were at the company knew that the company had ballooned in the past couple of years. Um, 
The restructuring that Travis was talking about earlier also led to a huge hiring push. And I was hired near the beginning of that hiring push when the company grew from about 150 people to 400 in two years. Wow. That's huge. And that wasn't sustainable. Um, But yeah, then Pete Hawley came in as CEO and canceled some projects, found some new ones. And the only games that we released in 2018 were the last few episodes of Batman, the enemy within, and then the first two episodes of the walking dead, the final season, Mm -hmm. we weren't releasing a ton of episodes like we had every other year. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and ended up not meeting new funding didn't come in and the studio closed down. Um, yeah, (laughs) that's kind of where that was. I mean, were there signs even after the first layoff that things were heading towards its closing a year later? Okay. Um, And I think that's what made the way everything closed down so shocking. Mm -hmm. A lot of us knew we were on a ship that was maybe sinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could see it. There was indecision about what to do next. And that's why it was weird that things seemingly imploded overnight um, because we all thought it was going to be like a long, slow death um, Mm. and that we'd have plenty of notice because everyone seemed to think that things were weird. Um, Mm. So to find out that our upper management didn't see that things were weird and waited until the very last minute was really, really disheartening. And it's also part of why. There is a class action lawsuit being led by some of my coworkers um, against Telltale because mm-hmm. things look a little sketchy. I'm not sure if this was done legally or not, and I guess we'll yeah. find out. We'll find out. One of the things that we see in the news right now is that, and this is a rumor, right? Because it's from outsiders, it's from journalists, but there were people saying that they thought that Telltale was trying to secure another business deal, which they had in confidence thought that they had lined up. That's why there was no course correction or there was no sort of concern for how they were going to keep the doors open. And then that funding disappeared or the deal didn't go through. Uh, do you have any comments on that? Like, do you know if yeah, that I do. Or um, okay. So they were trying to secure funding from two different places okay. from AMC and from oh. Smilegate. Okay. And the employees were all told about that. They were being pretty upfront with it. And then we were told, and this information has already come out in the Variety article, so I'm not breaking any yeah. NDAs or spilling anything right now, um, that one of them pulled out in the afternoon and the other pulled out early evening. And then it was done. Mm. <sighs> so was the studio really counting on those two to kind of help with everything? Considering we got paper checks and that there were, I can't substantiate this, but there were rumors that Dan Connors was even personally putting some of his own money in to pay those last checks. Mm. I'm going to say yes, <laughs> that the yeah. studio desperately needed them. <laughs> like, I, I don't mean to joke here, but like how confident were people that their checks were actually going to produce money? You know? uh, not confident. Um, we were all running to the bank to deposit them as soon as we possibly could. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> so Travis, I mean, uh, obviously you left before the first layoff because of yeah. signs of trouble, but you kept in contact with a lot of uh, 
people there. I mean, from your ex kind of telltale employee perspective, how did you feel about the whole situation? Well, I mean, awful. Uh, (laughs) Despite the, you know, despite my relationship, I would say with the company as the company, I still, everyone who I worked with was fantastic. And seeing a lot of my friends laid off in the first round of layoffs. And then most recently when the studio closed was just not good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will say that, um, there was a point um, not related to when the company closed, of course, but when the um, when there was a turnover in management from uh, from Kevin Bruner into I, I apologize. because I do not know. I actually know the name of the CEO who ended up closing it out. But there was a little bit of, uh, I would say, celebration <laughs> uh, in that uh, Kevin Bruner, uh, he was kind of notorious within the company as being someone who was very. Uh, I guess iron fisted is the the term I would use and very much that the company was his vision. Um, and that the reliance on the telltale tool, which I will say was actually a, a great tool. I know it's gotten a lot of bad reputation because uh, as Emily noted in her recent talk that we, there wasn't necessarily a lot of time to make things look completely polished and clean, but it was a very nice tool, but he was part, uh, he was part of the original development team of it. So he very much, attached the entire company to that tool, despite some of its usability issues Mm -hmm. and um, would also just come down with a lot of those last second rewrites and cause a lot of um, a lot of the crunch time. Mm -hmm. And that uh, that was not good. And it was so intense, actually. Sometimes Kevin, um, he was our CEO Mm -hmm. and he would actually go into files and rewrite things personally. Oh, shit. What? I always love it when those guys go in there and try to, I'm very bored pushing people around. Uh, yeah. Writing things. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Emma, like one, one of the questions that always crop up is because, well, this is just game developers talking about game developers. It's like, there's always the business's owner uh, point of view. And we had you on before and we, you know, this is a situation where, you know, compromise isn't the ideal way to take the next step when we're talking about unionization we have to kind of get to the point where we have clear guidelines because anything in the middle is not good enough for this type of thing um but there's still an argument for if we to unionize you know how does it affect new businesses uh or business owners or indie developers or, or people who are more hesitant to hire uh, full-time employees and might route to just contractors. Okay. That's an interesting question. So you're like kind of asking like maybe how unionization would impact like prospects of developing new businesses and running them or. Yeah. Um, let me frame this a little better. So sure. uh, this is something that we see a lot with the uh, visual effects companies right they mostly contract and they uh opt in for and they get paid overtime uh but the the problem is is instability right and one of the biggest fears of unionization is that it will push away from hiring salary because of all these conditions and just here's a six-month contract take your leave it which in a way is nice because you have a clear uh set of 
what to expect. But at the same time, you know, there's a reason why a lot of movie guys are going to the game industry because they don't like that jumping job to job and pretty much freelancing. But that's one of the things that I've heard a lot. And I don't know if it's, it's something that, um, that you, you encounter a lot when it comes to this type of thing. Um, well, I would just say looking at, um, most the vast majority of industries, not just film and TV, not just animation, but just the vast majority of like what happens when you introduce labor organ organized labor to an industry. Um, it typically introduces a large amount of new stability to the industry. Um, and uh, regarding the con the contracting kind of uh, fear, like the fears of like maybe things being unstable and people only getting contract employment. I mean, we're already seeing that um, so many game dev positions are just on a mass scale contract only, whether that's QA or writing positions, um, video editors and things like lots of these positions are all on a contract basis already and not like solid, stable salary positions. Um, and uh, even if they were to offer like that as like, say, a company wanted to just for some reason hire everyone contract and maybe that was easier or simpler for them. As long as the workforce is organized amongst themselves and are able to function as like a single collective unit, which is what collective bargaining is, um, as long as they could all stand together and demand a better contract, a better system of employment, a better way of recruiting people that's more sustainable and long term and not just these short term like bursts of hiring and then mass layoffs. Um, I, I mean, then you can you can force the employer's hand on that. Um so uh, unfortunately, the kind of like um, where your question, I guess, was like hypothetically leading the industry, um, we're already kind of there with the contract employment and unsustainable mm -hmm. job positions. It, it's just a fact of this industry at this point. Um, people leave the industry within five to six years. That's a common burnout rate. And people leave not just from like uh, like city to city but like state to state country to country just to find positions because studios are always closing or having layoffs and um yeah it's really unstable so unionization really would only add more stability to that yeah and i, I think especially in, in the bay area in the recent months like just today uh, at the time of the recording trial and kind of like had a similar move from 200 yeah. to 25 yep it's just Which like every couple of days. <laughs> yeah, every couple of days now. Yo, it's not a coincidence. I'm telling you, like um, our industry suffers from terrible management, terrible, unsustainable hiring practices. And that always comes back to bite people mm -hmm. and people, you know, kind of uh, betting the whole the whole studio on one or two sources of funding that when they fall through, well, oh, we played our entire like our entire stack on that and right. now the whole thing folds instead of like right. diversifying their funding mm -hmm. and things like that yeah. it's just radically unsustainable and if we were more organized um we could you know force managers and, and employers to be more sustainable in their hiring practices um and not do this kind of boom and bust like fail or right. succeed situation mm -hmm. Well, what's stopping us from being a radical change, right? Like we keep seeing layoff news left and right day by day by day by day. Like where do we need to be pushing right now to try to like actually legitimize ourselves as a collective bargaining unit across the industry, let alone company to company? Sure. So, I mean, the main thing is like labor organizing and unionization is at the end of the day, a very long, slow, messy, one-on-one -on -one social contact based 
project, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to organize just a single studio, say, of maybe 100 to 300 people, I mean, that can take months, if not a year or two. Um, it's all about winning people over one-on-one, finding what issues you can find common ground with amongst each other and building that solidarity. It's slow, messy work. Um and slow, messy work isn't a nice, quick, easy solution. Um, it's not a quick band-aid. It's not flipping a switch. So it's inherently just a very difficult prospect. There's no one real way to be like, boom, let's fix this. Um, which is why, at least in terms of Game Workers Unite and our work, we're super, super focused on building local grassroots communities that are organizing amongst themselves in their studios and their, in their social networks, um, building that like one-on-one peer-based solidarity um and that's just long slow messy work as i said um and then the other main component is kind of educating people um it it feels like we've been hearing the this news like every couple weeks about mass layoffs and i feel like we keep seeing story after story from kotaku and waypoint and polygon about you know bad crunch culture terrible management um unsustainable hiring practices and stuff it feels endless right yeah, Rockstar yeah. is like today's news, right? Um, it, but the problem is like, it feels like it's been forever, but really we haven't been t- having these conversations for very long. Like mm-hmm. the last year in particular, I would say since Game Workers Unite was founded, um, we've been having a lot more in-depth conversations about not just these terrible events that are happening in the industry, but also like what we can do about it, talking about the conditions of labor and how we can organize around this. Um, and until, yeah, like uh, the last year and then a couple of years before that, when we were at least acknowledging these bad conditions in the industry, um, there has just been not enough education around these things. So educating everybody about these issues, how unionization, other uh, efforts can help, uh, if not completely fix things, at least move things in the right direction and add protections for people and increase the quality of life, give people a longer career uh, length and, you know, just letting people actually have decent lives as game developers and not just these crunch-based, fast burnout um, careers. Uh, that was, that's my long-winded uh, answer to your very simple question. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, like it's winter time, so I, I have a feeling that Game Workers Unite traffic <laughs> has peaked, has been peaking the last couple of months. Yeah, um, to say the absolute least, um, it's very much turned into like an eighty-hour job for me, at least. Mm-hmm, so, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I mean, we're talking about Capcom, Vancouver, talking about Telltale. We're talking about now, like Tryon. It's just always something, yeah. There's a lot. So and, and, and just dozens of of employees like flooding to us, asking like, "What can we do? Can Who we can do I that? reach out to? Can I start a chapter and start getting my people together? You know, in my studio and doing a lot of organizer training, giving people the tools to like know how to safely organize um, amongst their peers. Um, there's just so much work to be done. It's it, we're really you know doing work that's just completely unprecedented for this industry and frankly software in general um not just games and so we're really having to like break some new ground that's really difficult um so it's slow going for that reason mm-hmm. one of the uh news after the layoff was in a weird way like a day after we heard those news it's like telltale was announcing kind of finishing the last two episodes and then right now they're talking poor timing probably they were firing the pr person the day after that because they had to get the news (laughs) out but like how how much truth is it where skybound uh we've heard since skybound is going ahead and 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 try to finish the two episodes with 
previous Telltale workers? I mean, is there any validity towards that? Because that's that's a weird ask. There is. Um, That is a real thing that is actually happening. So um, Skybound owns the Walking Dead IP. That's Robert Kirkman's company. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were really sad when they found out that Telltale was going under and was not going to be able to finish the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And Skybound does have a games division, but... They have up until now been almost exclusively publishing. Mm -hmm. So it's a small number of people that does games publishing. They're also based out of LA. Mm -hmm. So they, I I 100% believe that they really want to finish this game, that they want to hire on as many of the telltale developers as they can to finish it, but it's going to take time. Like you can't suddenly build a studio of 75 people and move them to a different part of California overnight. Um, So I know that they have reached out to some developers. They haven't reached out to everyone on the team yet, but some people, and those things are in motion. Um, And I'm excited to see where it goes. I think they're doing right by the team that they can do. Uh, Some people have called for Skybound to try and pay everyone's severance, which is (laughs) definitely their hearts are in the right place. Yeah. But um, that's not Skybound's thing. job. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're an IP holder and mm-hmm. they're trying to give people at least some short term work. Yeah. Um, it would have been great if in negotiations with them, Telltale could have secured funding to pay severance. But I'm pretty sure that's not how that went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm intrigued to learn more. That's pretty much all I know at this point. Um, right. But that's that's true. That is not a rumor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't and, know. Oh. Go ahead, Emma. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say on top of that, um, you kind of mentioned like at least they can get some work in the meantime. Um, I, I personally know a lot of devs from Telltale that are, you know, they are desperate for work. So they're a lot of them are really considering this uh, this uh, option that's open to them now. Um, the problem is um, chances are, and from what I've heard from folks I know at Skybound actually, um, is that these are going to be just temporary contract employments until the game is out and then they're not going to keep them around. Cause like Emily said, uh, Skybound is traditionally a publisher and so far they don't seem to be making any like long-term moves towards actually developing games as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a real bummer. Yeah. I mean, how, how does this deal? I mean, this might be speculation from this point because we don't know what of course Telltale's deal is with Skybound, but I would imagine it's monetary beneficial <laughs> and, uh, like how exactly would they, I mean, they're already in the bad stance, right? They're benefiting from a game that they just fired everyone off from, but they're not really held accountable to pay anyone any more severance. They're just in a lawsuit right now. So I guess what the, you know, they're kind of in hiding in a bit in a way there's, I haven't heard too much about the CEO commenting on anything. They haven't made any statements since uh, the end of September. So you're just going to kind of wait, wait everything over. Yep. Yeah. Um, I will say the creative director of the final season of the walking dead did say in a, uh, in a Reddit AMA that um, 
uh, that uh, essentially one of the reasons why they aren't saying anything, at least this is what he said, um, the reason why they're not saying anything further about like the specifics of the contract deal is because um, I guess a couple aspects are still kind of up in the air a little bit of their negotiations. And then second, because of the class action lawsuit, they're being advised not to really talk about specifics of this entire scenario, not just layoffs or not just the contract between Skybound and Telltale. Um, So they're kind of just, I think, very intentionally and probably smartly just laying low yeah that makes sense uh, what do you guys think the likelihood of you know the employees winning the class action lawsuit just you know based on where you stand i don't know if you know the tenants as to why exactly they've formed it i'm sure you have more info than we do but i guess what does your gut say about the chances yeah um so they're relying on the warn act which in california has a clause that if the company is seeking additional funding and feels that revealing how close they are to having to fold would cause their funding to not come in um then they can lay people off with no severance and that suddenly if that funding doesn't appear mm-hmm. um and telltale is currently banking on that clause so in the investigation, from what I understand, uh, it's going to come down to how how much they knew, <laughs> basically, uh, whether they really thought it was that bad, whether they thought that would hold them back from getting the funding and how much they believed this funding was going to come through for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess everyone has to email their paper checks to come up with that. I mean, it's like, obviously, there were issues i mean that's i mean if that's the case it's very hard to kind of peg them on that warner right i mean yeah the issue is it's all based off of internal documentation that mm-hmm. management and the c-level folks would have um and at least to the, idea, right? yeah yeah and so like i mean one that documentation can be kind of hidden or destroyed or just omitted through various processes in the investigation sure. And guess, yeah. Um, yeah, at least the couple of lawyers that I've talked to about this specific case is that they assume it's not going to work out um, just because of that clause in particular that Emily brought up. Um, it's a pretty big gap. Big and actually, it rewards employers who um, run the, the, the ship directly into the ground instead of mm-hmm. like trying to maneuver. It like specifically rewards like extremely bad behavior, not just like moderately bad behavior, which is kind of a wild wow. thing to have in our How labor protections. Mm-hmm. I guess you really got to dig back to when they started talking to Skybound <laughs> because that deal is so conveniently placed, right? At a certain point, they should have, unless they really started the conversation after everything. That's my impression, actually, that that was mm-hmm. their last ditch thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been mine as well. I really uh, don't believe that conversation existed yeah. mm-hmm. before everything collapsed. Yeah. And both companies that were willing to do any sort of funding both pulled out on the same day, two separate companies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Interesting. Well, <laughs> in kind of like an estimation between... Uh, you, you two, Travis and, and Emily, like based on previous colleagues, like how many percentage wise actually landed a job or stayed or left Bay Area, Nevada State? Yeah. So um, I 
used the number 20% in my talk last week. Mm. Um, and that number has definitely gone up since then. Uh, oh, a lot of good. people seem to have landed jobs this week and even more have taken on some manner of short-time contract work, but it's still less than 50%. Uh, mm. A lot of people are out of work completely. Um, and a lot of people have started moving away and examining their options. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, some people have left the country. Um, this uh, community is definitely beginning to fracture because of mm. that. And I also know yeah. several devs who are living out of cars and couldn't oh. afford their rent payments and people with like serious health conditions not being able to you know, afford the health care without their insurance from Telltale. And it's a it's a fucking nightmare is what it is. It's bad. Yeah, even um, our community is in a really bad place right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can't speak too much to the most recent layoffs. Most of the people that I knew from my time at Telltale had already moved on to other positions before or were affected by the earlier layoffs and they've since mostly recovered uh to my knowledge but uh yeah it's bad all around mm-hmm. uh. so i guess my next question is like even of course we talked about if unionization was in place there would have been a severance package for everybody uh, at least plan ahead of time so that, and even would countermeasure a lot of the problems uh, way before the bust uh, to kind of maybe change and alter decisions made uh, to the finish line. But internally, uh, um, what could have changed to kind of help with, uh, I guess, Emily, you were kind of talking about just giving more creative, not exactly risk because they thought they took the safest route by taking no risk, but it was the riskiest part by not evolving the game design ideas or you know, making Telltale uh, and taking the formula and making something either new or just improving on it. Um, What what could have prevented some of this um, ahead of time from happening? Oh, gosh. (laughs) So many things. Um, (laughs) Travis was talking about earlier that we had a structure where um, if executives wanted something in the game, it happened. Like you bent space and time and you made the game reflect what they wanted to see. Or especially if you were in a higher level creative position, you were removed from that position and demoted, or you were outright fired or you were shamed into non-existence. Basically Uh, we actually talked about people being benched at the company. Um, We, and like, so people were, constantly scared. Um, And like I was kind of saying earlier, when you have lead writers changing things a few days before a game ships, that causes serious work for everybody downstream. Like Mm -hmm. then your designers have to do work. Then you have to send things to VO. Then new animations have to be made. Then it has to go to cinematography. Then God bless QA and distribution and release because they are totally and rightly screwed. Um, and that was a huge part of why our games looked so buggy mm-hmm. it was because of moments like that. Yes, our game engine had some issues, but a lot of it was last minute changes that affected everyone. So we were working sometimes. I, I personally, in, especially in my first two years there, the crunch wasn't as bad under Pete Hawley. 
Um, but I worked a number of like 80 or 90 hour weeks in a row, sometimes making some of those crazy changes. And I was in the design department. So I know every time I crunched, I made life even worse for everyone in the departments downstream. And that stinks. Um, and it made our product worse. If we hadn't done that kind of crunch, if management hadn't put those kind of requirements on us, I think we could have shipped better games in less time yeah and not burnt out people and constantly had to recruit new people and then laid off people that whole cycle i wish companies wanted to be sustainable like there's nothing wrong with saying hey you know what 50 people is great for us let's kind of like you know what i mean Uh uh-huh yeah. And it felt like there was a situation, an excerpt, I think I read from you, Emily, where you were talking about the kind of the Guardian Galaxy tone. Yeah. Where they didn't agree with you guys' creative intuition. And then it was just all watered down and it was completely different from the movie license and everything. And you yeah, still that's correct. Blame for it. Yeah. Um, when we were making Guardians of the Galaxy, um, I was the design lead for episode two of that game. Mm. And the creative team wanted to make it, you know, funny, like the movie and moderately lighthearted. And our executives disagreed that that was the tone people associated with Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, they, on multiple occasions, brought up the example of when Ronan beheads that guy mm-hmm. uh, in the first couple minutes of the movie as that's what Guardians of the Galaxy is. Okay. So what happens so, after that? What happens when the movie comes out? It, it, the game didn't land as well. Like So amazingly, uh, this is one of my favorite stories from my time at Telltale. We released the first episode of Guardians of the Galaxy, and we're getting close to GMing the second one when the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out. Mm-hmm. And as part of our like celebration for launching the first episode, Telltale paid for all of us to go see the film together a day early. Okay. And we all sat there and watched as it was hilarious. Mm. (laughs) Um, And the Guardians team walked out like looking stoic and like we had just been slapped (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, because it was the biggest like I told you so that we couldn't say. Mm hmm. So um, did anyone go to the execs and just ask, like, oh, what'd you guys think? You know, yeah. you know? <laughs> no, but in creative meetings a couple days later, they were like, wow, you guys, this might be too serious. Maybe you need to make it more funny. Oh, hmm. of course. Like, we have figured this out for you. That's what's going to fix it, um, mm. which that didn't feel great. Do any of these executives, like, are they still working in the industry? Like, I would love to talk to one or two of them and be like, hey, yes. let's, let's hear your side and of the story. I, I'd like to clarify, too, that that was not Quote, the entire unquote. executive team. No, no, I know. Right? I know. That we did Sorry. have some executives who, yeah. like, were great okay. and also um, <laughs> understood RIPs. But yeah. there were, unfortunately, enough of them that did not, who had enough power to yeah. cause that kind of tumult. And that's... Honestly, I step on this soapbox a lot, but that's one of my scariest feelings about the game industry right now is like the corporate culture that has kind of come in and the separation between the Excel spreadsheet wizards and the people who actually know product, who know franchise, who know canon for the stories or the the things that they're developing. And like that disassociation between this is what we know the fans are going to want and the customers are going to want. And then the other person saying, this is what the industry says customers want. So Mm, do what Excel is telling you to do. You know what I mean? 
It's heartbreaking. Totally. Heartbreaking. So I'm. Uh, <laughs> I think we're just gonna, you know, ask you this and kind of close it, right? Um, there's definitely a lot of interest from from a lot of game developers. Yes, there's discourse about like what what is game unionization, but there is curiosity behind everybody's intentions, right? It's like, all right, I'm ready. What do you do? And I know it's a long road, but is it really just talking one by one, getting a group? Now that I have a group, right? It's called the Larry and Brandon group. <laughs> and the, I mean, what, what is, is there official sign up? Like what, how exactly do I get to the next step after I got a group of developers? Do we, you know, go in a meeting room with the CEO who's making bad calls and, <laughs> and get that conversation going? How does it work? Um, wow. That is a really big question. And I could give you like a, a six hour lecture on it if you wanted, but um, I mean, so first off, like something I feel like I should say is like you, People don't have to just organize and unionize with and around Game Workers Unite. We're doing a lot of mobilization on this front, but like the basics of what unionization is, is people in the workplace forming a collective to demand um, changes in their workplace through just like the leverage of saying, well, if you don't give us these benefits and you don't give us these changes in the workplace, the threat is we will stop creating this product that gives you profit um, because like that's the actual leverage workers have over people. Um, so um, at the end of the day, to answer your questions very simply, is just that it, it's up to people in as individuals in their workplaces to start reaching out to their coworkers and start um, safely and quietly and cautiously um, kind of trying to find a, a number of people supportive in each of the major departments or on each of the major teams in their, in their studio and start building the framework of uh, essentially what is known as a, an organizing committee um, that can then start doing a, a safe non-public organizing push until there's some tipping point um, in, in the studio where like, once you have a majority of people, you typically go public and then start a public um, like live kind of uh, union campaign against the employer slash in collaboration with the employer. Um, so, I mean, that's what people tangibly can do and frankly are doing right now in dozens of studios around the world. Um, and that just takes time. Um, it, it, a more like, in, like introductory level thing people can do is yeah, they can join their local game workers unite chapter um, start getting training on this, start educating yourself about these common um, forms of exploitation in the industry, start listening to even just podcasts like your own, um, start listening to these stories from developers like Emily and Travis and um, start arming themselves with just knowledge, frankly, and helping spread that through the industry. That's the most powerful thing you can do. And forming that local community is really important. Um, and just the plug that I feel like I need to throw in there is we have over 25 chapters now of Game Workers Unite um, mm-hmm. in, I think, four continents now. Um, so um, if if uh, if you're if like a chapter isn't in your local area, which it very well might be just statistically, you can go to the website and see the list of chapters, um, GameWorkersUnite.org. Um, but if there isn't, you can find one in your local uh, city and community and start organizing and getting the tools and and um, we'll train you up and stuff. Thank you. I like that. I'm definitely going to start there. Mm-hmm. Get some research. Is there a pretty good example of people who are the furthest along with this this movement? 
in, mm-hmm. in, inside their own company around the world where it's like, all right, those guys are doing certain things there. because, because the biggest, the best example has been the voice actors. I felt like they came together mm-hmm. within a few months and, and that's the, to me. All right. But there might be other examples that that was able to do or in the process of doing that we can keep watch of. Um, so I think, I think the work that the Screen Actors Guild SAG-AFTRA has been doing um, is super crucial, super militant, super based around like a unified front asking for better conditions. Um, uh, to be clear that you're talking about like the 2016 voice actors strike is what you're referencing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, that what they were already all unionized, the people in that strike, um, which allowed them to have like a higher level of solidarity and demand better conditions. Um, and that was like a really fantastic example of what organized labor can do. Right. Um, and in many ways they kind of sparked interest from a lot of devs, uh, at the time and has certainly contributed to this kind of increasing focus on labor conditions and organizing in our industry. I think that's a great example, just the one you brought up. Um, STJV is uh, the National uh, Game Developers Union in France. Um, They underwent uh, their first strike, actually, at a studio. Um, Ultimately, it failed, actually. Um, Actually, I think if Game Workers Unite had been around at the time, we could have gathered like uh, a larger collective uh, strike fund for them and, you know, gotten support from the international community because we just weren't mobilized at the time that was happening. Mm -hmm. And there was no way to tap the larger kind of game dev community for support financially and just in the press. So they got squashed pretty pretty hard um unfortunately but i think they're the fact that they're still around they're still organizing in france they're still being dedicated and militant and unified um and demanding better conditions uh i I think they're a wonderful example as well um and then i wish i could talk more about a lot of the organizing campaigns we're doing right now um both in canada and the united states but um in uh, other countries around the world um i just can't go into depth on them because they're not public yet um but there's a wonderful level of um, militancy and solidarity going on in these campaigns in a in a very surprising way to me um people are really once they realize it's about them and their coworkers organizing for a better future for themselves, sustainability, um, having more say in, in the product as, as to what Emily has spoken to earlier on the show, like people really, really vibe with that message and people really want to get on board and help organize. And, um, we're just seeing a lot of wonderful action and, um, yeah, so I mean, I wish I could talk to those examples, but um, maybe in a in a later episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, um, I sincerely hope and pray that everyone affected by the recent layoffs will end up all right. And my heart goes out to everyone. Uh, please utilize us as a resource, personally or professionally. Uh, if there's anything that we can do through the podcast, through LinkedIn whatever i mean ask anything we'll see what we can do uh and that's legit like it's not for a show of like brownie points or whatever like we're your brothers so hit us up uh i speak for brandon and myself i'm sure and uh oh just me uh no i'm just kidding with that said honestly uh love everybody thank you guys for being on the podcast with us and i'm gonna say good night hey guys thanks you for listening this is brandon fam see you guys later thanks for having us on yeah thank you so much everyone so thanks for listening to our podcast i hope that you're a subscriber but if you aren't please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms especially itunes or spotify 
You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.